Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks again for joining us for our next lesson in our series on the book of Ephesians. In today's lesson, we'll be going over Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through verse 7. We're going to see how Paul tells us to live in love, along with making a distinction, again, between the old and new man, the two positions of old and new man, or believer and non-believer. And we're going to see that we should be acting like who we are. The question of the day is, how should my position as a son of God affect my practice or my daily living? And that's what we should be thinking about. As easy as it is to understand, it's hard to put into practice in our everyday life to live like who we are. Because we don't always do that. And it's a hard, hard thing to do. Well, thanks again for joining us for this lesson. We hope that you enjoy it. Um, All right, sons of disobedience. Okay, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at six or uh, really seven verses this morning as we look at this. And um, as we look at this, I want us to remember uh, that remember the themes that Paul's been talking about. And we'll talk about them uh, as we go through. But today, Paul's basically going to start out with what we looked at last week, be imitators of God as beloved children. Then he talks about walking in love. Uh, and then he goes in and he talks about the old man for a little bit. Uh, and, and some things that we're not supposed to do. And in verse 7, it kind of culminates by saying, hey, don't be partners uh, with these people. And so again, he's talking about old man, new man, and how as the new man, as those who have placed our faith in Jesus for eternal life, we should give in to the new man. We should um, not be doing the things of the old man. Uh, so this is a question I want you guys to think about. You have a question? Can I have a piece of Yes. Really, was there any extra piece of paper? Alright, so this is a question. It's the question of the day. Okay, it's a question I want you to think about. Bryn Laurie, it's very small writing, so you may have to get your monocle out, Laurie. Uh, how should my position as a son of God affect my practice or my daily living? Okay, because Paul has been talking about two positions. Okay, sons of God and not sons of God, or some words he's used, sons of disobedience, Okay, which is why we're talking about that this morning. And so he's been saying a lot, if you remember, as a child of God, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have that, you are eternally secure. But as that, you should be living like that. You should be living like who you are. The first three chapters of Ephesians is all about who you are as an individual and as a church and as a body. Okay, Remember in three, he's like, hey, Jews and Gentiles, they're one, right? We're one church, we're one body. And remember in chapter 1, he says, hey, you guys are forgiven, you guys are redeemed, this and that and this and that. And in chapter 2, he says, you were children of disobedience. Now, by grace through faith, you've been saved. Okay, And then we, the church, are his workmanship. So he's all three chapters of who you are, who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. Positionally, you are with God. Okay, And then 4 through 6 is, so act like it. So act like you're a child of God because sin doesn't come from God, right? So when we sin, we're living according to our flesh. Okay? Or we're living according to Satan's way, right? Instead of God's way. Or according to the world's way. Or according to our flesh. However you want to say that. Instead of God's way. And so these chapters, he's encouraging and exhorting the church at Ephesus to live like who they are. So that's why the question of the day is, how can you live in your everyday life like who you are positionally? Okay? If you've placed your faith in Jesus for eternal life, you're a child of God. So how can you live like that? Okay? Practically. Does that make sense to everybody? Alright, let's read 
Uh, we're going to read seven. We're going to read seven verses. I, I think I have six up there, but we're going to read seven. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has entrance, or sorry, has inheritance into the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this time where we get to look at your word. And I just pray that you would uh, give me wisdom and understanding and help me to communicate uh, the truth of your word uh, as we uh, talk about it this morning. And I just pray that for all of us that um, you'd encourage or convict us as, as needed today, God. Um, we just pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a few themes so far we've already talked about a little bit, but I just wanted to point them out again. Uh, the, one of the big themes, like I said, uh, throughout Ephesians is the way of God versus the way of devil. Or you could say the way of the spirit, the way of the flesh. You could say the new man, the old man. You could say who we were, who we are. Uh, he's used all that language to, to point out these two camps. Okay, So we've already kind of talked about that one a little bit. Uh, there's unity. We didn't talk about that a lot, but Jews and Gentiles coming together in the churches of Ephesus. Uh, the Gentiles or the Jews are having a hard time accepting the Gentiles as a part of the body. And so that's why... Uh, we saw in chapter 3 a lot. Hey, Gentiles are a part of the body too. Uh, sons is, is a big theme. Okay, If you go back to chapter 1, it says we're heirs of Christ. Uh, right here in this, right in the chapter, or the very start of this, it says being imitators of God as beloved children. Okay, So children, uh, Paul is using this idea of children. There's the children of disobedience and the children of God. Uh, and So that's just a theme. And that goes back to the first one really. Uh, just those two camp positional camps, and then the last two are more sub themes. The mystery age is a big theme in like two and three, and being near to God again that goes back to unity and how the Gentiles were far away from God, and this is talking about fellowship, not salvation. How the Gentiles were far away from God uh, practically, and the in Israel and the Jews used to be the only way to be close to God, and now the body, the church is close, can be near to God, and so that's kind of a sub theme in there. Um, and then these, this is the two positions, kind of that we were talking about earlier. These are just some of the things that the lingo or some of the words that Paul uses throughout the books that we've seen so far. And he uses more later on. So in chapter 2 and in 5, he uses sons of disobedience, children of wrath for unbelievers. He uses, it, Gentiles is interesting because he uses it as believers and unbelievers. Okay, um, And I, I think partly he does that because he's making a note that Gentile, as a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, right? Uh, you can be a believer or an unbeliever. And I think that may be why he does that. But uh, And then old self in chapter 4. We, we just got done talking about that. The believer, the, the beloved child, the son from chapter 1. Uh, in the Gentile, we just talked about that. Uh, those getting an inheritance. And the new self in chapter 4. So those are some ways that he is making this distinction throughout the entire book so far. Okay, Old man, new man. If you just want to think of it like that. Old man, new man. Okay? So, now, as, uh, as he continues here in verse 1, we see the imitation of love. Now, I don't even know if I 
I put that right on your thing. What does your thing say? It just says the and then blank blank. Okay, that'll work. Good enough. Okay, you could also put the the sons of God if you wanted to or something or whatever you want. But the imitation of love, and the reason it says imitation of love uh, on point one is because of verse one. Okay, let's look at it again. It says, therefore, and we talked about this last week, be imitators of God as beloved children. How can we do that? We talked about that last week. What's one way that we can do that? How can we be an imitator of God from last week? Who should we look at and take example from? Jesus. Jesus, like he's the physical, 100% God, 100% man being that came down to earth, sacrificed himself, gave himself up for us. And because he became a human, we can visually see, well, us we can't visually see necessarily anymore, but we can read about them visually seeing uh, Jesus, and we can take example from that. We can imitate or mimic that. Okay, and we should do that as beloved children, as children of God, as sons of God. So as those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that's what we should be doing. Okay, and then in verse 2, which we didn't get to last week, we'll talk about it uh, right now. Verse 2 says, And walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. So he says, hey, imitate Jesus, imitate God, and walk in love. All throughout the Bible, you can see that love sums up everything, right? Uh, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trick him with the question, anybody know what they asked him? What is the greatest commandment? Okay? And then what did he say? Love you. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. First, he says, love the Lord your God, okay? And then he says, in the seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then he says, the whole law is summed up in one word it's love. Okay, this is Colossians. Okay, I want to focus on 14. I'm going to read 12 through 14, but focus in on 14 here. He says, So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, and put on the heart of compassion. And think about this past couple weeks, how similar this is to what we've been talking about, uh, just the verbiage he, he uses. Okay, so as holy and beloved, that's from chapter 1 of Ephesians, put on a heart of compassion, chapter 4, and kindness, chapter 4, and humility, chapter 4, and gentleness, chapter 4, uh, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, 432. Uh, whoever has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord forgave you, so you must also do. And look at verse 14. He says, In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It bonds it all together, and it bonds us together. And because of Christ's love, uh, it bonds everybody together. So he says, Above all, love. Above all, love. Why? Because if I'm loving someone, I'm going to forgive them. If I'm loving someone, I'm going to be compassionate towards them. If I love somebody, I'm going to be humble and gentle and patient towards people, right? And so that's why in verse 2, Paul says, And walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. Okay, so he gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. Now, when Christ came and he died and he rose again, that was a love that was sacrificial, right? No? Yes? yes. Okay. Unconditional, yes. right? We didn't have to do anything to earn it. And it was generous, right? And it was a lot of things. And we could spend a, a whole nother lesson just on this, but we, got, we have to get through Ephesians at some point. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. What I want you to spend time on today is the very end of this because I think it's interesting. I think it's cool. Okay, it says... Uh, the offering, it's a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay? Now, I have a sensitive nose. Okay? That's my 
most sensitive sense of the senses, okay? Uh, so I smell a lot of things, and it's a blessing and a curse, okay? Because, you know, when somebody has B.O., you know, I smell it. You know, only half of you guys do today, okay? It's fine. Um, and, you know, when somebody farts in the room, I'm usually the first one to smell it. Uh, so it's, it's a blessing and a curse. So I thought I'd go through, and I'd give you a few things that I really like to smell and a few things that I don't like to smell, okay? The first one that I like to smell is coffee, okay? I didn't really start drinking coffee until I was like 24, which was not that long ago, like four or five years ago. But I've always loved the smell of coffee. And that's probably one of, I mean, I, I started drinking coffee because of my grandpa, but really, if I didn't like the smell, I probably wouldn't be drinking it, right? I love the smell of coffee. You can hold that warm cup of coffee and smell it, sit out in the cold. I'm trying to com- secretly convince Brent to start drinking coffee here. I like the smell okay. of it. See, he likes the smell of it too. Even though he doesn't like it, he likes the smell of it. Uh, it's a great smell. Okay, another one, kind of weird one, Gain. I love the smell of Gain laundry detergent. It's awesome. Um, and it's strong. I think, that's, I think that's part of the reason I like it so much. Another one is Aspen and Pine. Okay, And if you know anything about the mountains, Aspen and Pine is the smell of the mountains. So when you go to Colorado... And you go up in those kind of high altitude, and you go, ah, smells like Colorado. That's aspen and pine. Okay, that's those two trees mixed together, and that is a good smell. I love that smell. Uh, the other one, campfire smoke. Okay, campfire smoke, particularly cedar wood burning. Uh, I love cedar wood burning, but I love campfire smoke. I don't like washing my clothes after camping because it smells so good. I know a lot of people don't like that, but I do. I love campfire smoke. Okay. Really love it when it blows straight in your face. Yeah, if I close my eyes, you know, it's it's good. If I close my eyes. Uh, so some things I don't like. Okay, rotten eggs. Okay, it is one rotten egg. Okay, it's nasty, and this smell is in a lot of things that is not actually rotten eggs. Like sometimes like washers can smell like rotten eggs, or like cars, sulfur. So like just drive down to Davis, Oklahoma, and it's like. This it's nasty. It's nasty. Okay, bo. I already mentioned it. I don't like the smell of bo. I don't think anyone does for the most part. So my dad, whenever he gets bo, he smells like uh, nacho flavored Doritos. So I can barely eat those things. It's really weird. It's a really weird thing. Uh, so I don't. I don't really like the smell of nacho Doritos either. So uh, the aftermath of a bathroom explosion. Okay, and I'll explain this one a little bit because everybody doesn't like the smell. Okay, but when I go into a bathroom. And it just smells bad, and I don't know who's been in there or what's been in there, okay? And I walk in, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm getting germs in my nose. Like, it's so bad. You know what I mean? And so, like, I just I don't like that smell, especially when I don't know where it came from, okay? And then the final one, bad breath of somebody who doesn't have a, doesn't have a bubble, a personal bubble. Now, here's what I mean by that, okay? I have bad breath every Sunday, okay? I do, okay? Because I drink coffee, and I can't chew gum because I'm talking, Okay, and everybody has bad breath sometimes. But then there's also, you know, the people that like are like touchy and like that, you know, don't have a bubble really. I have a bubble. I'm like like offensive about it. I'm like get out of my bubble. But the people that they talk to you and they always slide a little bit closer to you, you know, and you're always like sliding back just a little bit like this, and then you eventually kind of put your knee out and lean back just so you know, so they're a little further away. Uh, so when that person has bad breath, it gets it gets rough quick, right? Because they keep getting closer to you, especially if they're breathy. And then you're like, ooh, okay, so I don't like that smell either. Uh, and the reason I bring all these things up, okay, is because Paul here, he says that Christ's sacrifice 
was a pleasing smell, is a pleasing aroma to God. So he's using an illustration here to help us understand that God loves when loved it, first of all, when Christ loved us, because that's the example, walking love just as Christ loved you. So when Christ loved us, God loved that smell. Okay? He he loved it when Christ loved us. And so he loves it when we love each other. Right? It's pleasing to God when we love each other. So we should be doing that. We should be loving one another. How can we do that? Just pick it. You guys know. You don't need me to stand up here and tell you how to love each other. Right? Pick out the person that, the, that is the hardest to love and do something for them that you hate doing for them, but they would like it. Okay? That's, I mean, that's a way to, to love somebody. Right? Or you can go back to chapter 4 and you can look at it and say, hey, chapter 4 says be compassionate, be kind, be tenderhearted, be uh, forgiving one another. So you can pick up any of those things. You can serve one another. Okay? In, in John chapter, I think it's 13. Jesus washing the feet. Is that 13? Okay, so in John 13, okay, Jesus and the disciples, they come in, and in that day and time, you wore sandals, and the streets were made out of dirt, right? So you get your feet get all dirty, so you go in, and when you go into somebody's house, one of the first thing you do, instead of kicking off your shoes like we do so we don't track mud everywhere, they'd wash, wash their feet so they don't track mud everywhere, right? Or dust or whatever. And so Jesus, they all come in, and who, who's supposed to wash their feet? Or the servants, okay, or the butler, right, or whatever, you know. Okay, and so Jesus, okay, he goes and he gets a towel and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Okay, I mean, I don't like feet, so I don't like feet, so I wouldn't like that. What'd you say? Yeah, Jesus is the guest, and he's the leader, and he's the teacher. Okay, he should not be washing anybody's feet, and he's God. Okay? I mean, not to mention, he's God. Like, he shouldn't be washing anybody's feet, right? And so he goes in and he washes feet. Why? Okay, because he loved them and he was serving them. Okay, we can love, we can be loved sacrificially, unconditionally, generously towards people. We can do, you know, whatever we need to do in that situation for that person. Okay, and you guys can think of right now, hey, I want to live like who I am. Right there's your answer. Love each other. Love your brother, your sister, the people that are the hardest to love. Okay, the guy that smells bad and doesn't have a personal bubble, like love him, right? Love your youth pastor when he has coffee breath and he comes up to you and is like, hey, how you doing? He has that breathy smell, okay? Uh, so you guys, we could stop here and we have direct application, right? We can go home and say, hey, if I, if I love my brother, my sister, you fill in the blank with the person that you need to fill in the blank with. I can love them better in this way. And that's going to be living in love or walking in love, depending on your change. Walking in love, living in love, just like Christ's love. And that's living like who we are. Okay, because who are we? We're a child of God, right? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, are you a child of God? Yes. Everybody, are you a child of God if you put your faith yeah. in Jesus Christ? Thank you. Okay, we are children of God. Okay, so if we are positionally a child of God, let's act like it. What did God do? He, he loved us. He, he washed their feet. He came and died for us. Okay, So if He's doing that, we should too. We should mimic Him, imitate Him, and do what He does. Okay, So the next thing that we're going to talk about is the sons of disobedience because that's what Paul gets into here. Um, and basically, he's going to say, hey, let's not do what our flesh wants. Okay, the, we, are, we are sons of God, but there are children of disobedience. And in chapter 2, 
He said we were the children of disobedience at one time. Okay, but then by faith we are no longer the sons of disobedience. Okay, so let's look at this verse 3. We're going to read 3 through 7. It says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as proper for the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather give thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because these things the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Okay, so first, Paul gives uh, several things here. He gives a list of stuff. Okay, here's the list. Okay. Oh, okay, I didn't put the list up here. Never mind. Okay, so the list is sexual immorality, impurity, greediness, shameful, or uh, you could say filthiness, I think, in this translation. You could say shameful, uh, foolish talk, coarse jesting. And he, says the, and he says four things about these things. Okay, now he's not making an exhaustive list of every sin in the world. Okay, but he's, he's laying some things out that are, uh, that are selfish, that are not loving, uh, and then going back to words, which are direct context from chapter 4, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. In verse 4, he says these things about words. And so all these things, he says, hey, there's four things about these things that I want you to know. Okay? And the first one is that they are to not be named among us. Okay? They are not to be named among us. So as believers, as a body, as a church, okay, these things should not be named among us. And this has the idea of being above reproach. Okay, Above reproach. Now, when I was younger okay uh, my sister and I had a friend named Patrick okay and Patrick and my sister really like debate they have a personality that likes debating and like arguing you know what I mean like to be good on the debate team and they just they like getting in arguments really okay so as you can imagine whenever he came over there were a lot of fights okay they would argue a lot about I don't know anything right anything that came up and so this one time we were he was over and we were playing in the sandbox. So I was pretty little. Or maybe I played when I was really old. I don't know in the sandbox. But uh, we were playing in the sandbox and they started getting into it again. Okay, which was per the huge. So, I mean, I was just like sitting on the side watching because it happened all the time. So they get in this argument and they're fighting and fighting and fighting. My dad comes out and I got in big trouble. Okay, I got in big trouble. Okay, because he thought I was fighting. He thought I was fighting with them. Right, and so I get in, in big trouble, and he he ends up coming back and apologizing and say, "Hey, I didn't know what was going on." But here's the thing: I was named among the fighters because I was with them when they were fighting. Okay, and the reason I bring that up is because that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, "Hey, these things shouldn't even be named among you." At the end of verse three, there, and that's like being above reproach. So, like at school or at wherever, if we hang around, like if we are in the crowd. That is the, the gossiping crowd, and they're known for gossips, and we're hanging out with that crowd. What are, what are you going to be named as, whether you're gossiping or not? Gossip. A gossiper. If you hang out with the party crowd, okay, and you don't party, but you hang out with the party crowd, what are people going to say? You are. Party. Right? Add whatever sin it is. If you're hanging out with people that are known for doing this, and you're in that crowd, like that's your group, okay? Whether you're doing it or not, it's going to be named among you, okay? It's going to be named as yours, okay? And so that doesn't mean we, you know, there's obviously balance there. It doesn't mean we never talk to those people or anything. But this is talking about 
uh, that idea of being above reproach. And I think we all should be. And it goes back to Proverbs, right? When it says don't hang out in, in Proverbs 1. Don't hang out with the wicked, okay? They're, they're in his death. They, they're leading to this. And, they, and Solomon says don't hang out with them. Okay, you're going to be caught in that. Okay, and whether you're caught in the sin or not, it's going to be named among you, which isn't proper. Okay, which is the next thing. Okay, it's not fitting or it's not proper. This is said twice in here. Okay, it's said twice. Say, so look at the end of three. It says, it shouldn't be named among you as is proper for the saints, meaning that it not sins not being named among you is proper. Okay, and then if you go on to verse four, it says, there must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which is not fitting. Those are two different Greek words, but they mean really close to the same thing. One's like proper, one's like fitting. Okay, um, so these things are not fitting for us. Okay, because we are sons of God, okay, we can still sin, we can still do these things, but they're not fitting. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, have you guys ever had, have any of you ever had like a clothing or like a shoes or a hat or something that fits perfect? And you just, or it's just like, you just love it. It's like the most comfortable sweatshirt you've ever had. Um, I've had a couple things like that. I had a pair of Jordans when I was a senior in high school that I played basketball in, and I love them so much, I just went and bought the exact same pair. So I would have two. Because what always happens is I get these things, and I love them, and they fit so good, and then they, like, discontinue them. I'm like, man, like, I would buy those all the time. That would be my only pair of shoes I would ever buy because I fit. they fit me so well, and I love them so much. Uh, but they discontinue them, you know. I had a pair of jog- I've had a pair of joggers like that. I've had a hat like that. I've had shoes like that where it's just like, man, these things fit. They're my style. I just love them. And then they'll discontinue them, and I can't get them anymore. And I'll search and search and search, and I can't get them. Uh, but Paul here, he's saying that these things are not fitting. Okay? They don't fit you. They don't fit you. It's like you're walking around, and you wear a size. I wear a size 11 and a half, and I'm walking around with size 3 shoes on. They don't fit, right? Or I walk around with size 20 shoes on. They don't fit. Right? They, they don't fit. They don't fit. Why? Because that's not who I am. Right? Okay? That's not who I am. I'm not. I'm a size 11. Okay? So a size 20 doesn't fit me. Okay? We are children of God. So sin doesn't fit us. It doesn't mean we never do sin. It just means that it doesn't fit. It's not what's supposed to happen. It's not proper. And it doesn't fit us. Okay? Because we are sons of God. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. The next thing he talks about... Okay, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this. It says they don't bring inheritance. Okay, we're going to talk about this uh, because there's, there's two things. Paul means one thing, and we know what he means. But there's two things he could be saying. Okay, but they both mean the same thing. Okay, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, this is in verse 5. Um, oh, and by the way, before we even get into this, I didn't even, I just skimmed over it. It says, but rather give thanks. Okay, I didn't even, I didn't even talk about this. But... Giving thanks is the size 11 shoe. Okay? Giving thanks is the size 11 shoe. So you're like, well, yeah, I know that the size 20 shoe doesn't fit, but I don't, I don't know what does fit. Well, giving thanks to God. That's what fits. Okay? We, us giving thanks to God for everything in every situation and every circumstance is fitting. Okay? For us as sons. Okay? Why? Because He gave us everything. Right? He gave us everything. Okay. So, sorry, I kind of skipped out on that. I didn't have a lot in here about it. Uh, but I should have, because that's huge. You can spend so much time on so many of these verses. 
because um, they're so good because it's the Bible and it's God's word. Um, all right, verse 5. Okay, these things do not bring an inheritance. We're going to look at that. Verse 5 says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. And keep going. We're going to look at five and, 6 and 7 as well. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. All right. So there's a couple of things that we can we know about this and we can look at. Okay, first off, we know exactly what Paul means here. Okay, um, we know and we know what he doesn't mean. Right? Paul just gets done in Ephesians chapter two saying that salvation is by grace through faith. Right? And it's not of ourselves. Why? So we can't boast about it. Okay, because it's a gift of God. So no one is able to boast. Right? So we know that when he says the inheritance uh, that these people or this man doesn't get the inheritance of the kingdom of God. We know that he's not saying, hey, if you're a believer and you do these things, you're not saved. Okay, Because he just said it's not based on works. Okay? So we know that's true. We also know for certain that Paul is making a distinction between the sons of disobedience and the sons of God here. Okay? We know he's making a distinction there. Because it says, don't be partakers with them in verse 7. Don't be partners with them in verse 7. In chapter 2, he made the distinction and said, you were sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Now you are saved by grace through faith. Here he says, the sons of disobedience, the wrath of God is coming on them. Do not partake with them or partner, really, with them in verse 7. So we know there's a distinction between those two groups. okay? And we know the distinction is positional. Okay, so listen to this, because this, uh, this is a big deal. And a lot of people um, a lot of people just glaze over it or, or don't think about it very much. But there's a difference between a believer and a non-believer positionally, right? Okay, one's with God, okay, or one's near God, or one's a son of God. The other one is not. It's a son of the devil. It's called the sons of the devil in some places. You could call him the son of the flesh. You call him the son of the world. You call him whatever. Okay, it's the old man and it's the new man. So there is a difference positionally between a believer and non-believer, right? And there should be a difference practically, but there's not always, right? Because we're not perfect, okay? Jesus had to come die for us because we're not perfect. And because we're not perfect, there's not always a difference in the way that I look and the way an unbeliever looks, okay? That's why Paul is warning people to not be partakers with them. Because as a believer, I can be the sexually immoral, the impure, the covetous idolater. I can be that. That's why Paul's warning me against it. Does that make sense? And so when he gets down here and he says, um, because this man doesn't have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, we can say, we can say two things about it. Okay? The first one is that this is a reward. We could just say, hey, this inheritance is the reward that you get in heaven. And as a believer, are you going to get rewarded for being sexually immoral or being impure or being greedy? I mean, no, that's obvious, right? We're not going to get rewarded for that stuff, so don't do it. Okay, And that's a very easy interpretation and application of this. And it means the same thing, right? Don't do these things. Don't live like we're not a child of God because we are. Okay, Now, the hard thing about that one 
is that in chapter 1, if you guys remember, you can go back, you can flip over there if you want to, but it's chapter 1, verse 13. He says that the Holy Spirit is a down payment for the inheritance that we receive. Same Greek word. Okay? And remember we talked about that. We said that could be a reward, but it really looks like that's the inheritance or being an heir as the possession of heaven. So every believer gets to go to heaven, right? Yeah, right? Everybody, every believer gets to go into heaven. Not every believer has a reward, but every believer gets to go into heaven. And so I think that's what Paul is talking about here. And I think he's saying positionally, the people that are in the position of sons of disobedience, meaning they haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, they have no inheritance. So why would you do the things that come natural to that? The things that come natural to a person or a, the position, really, of someone who is a son of disobedience. Why would you do what is natural for that rather than what God does, right? Why would we sin when we are a child of God? And we know we do sin, but He's encouraging us. And the reason uh, that this works is because He goes on and He says, Let no one see you with empty words, because on these things the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, which is what He said in, verse, or in chapter 2. So the wrath of God or the righteous just anger of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. But, are we sons of disobedience? What he calls in verse 1? Beloved children. children. We are children of God. Okay? We are not sons. So the wrath of God isn't coming on those who place their faith in Jesus for eternal life. It's coming on the sons of disobedience. Okay? And so, I think I have... Uh, it's the sons of disobedience versus sons of God. It's the positions, right? So, Paul, in verse 7, okay, he sums it up by saying, Therefore, don't be partners with them. Who's the them? The ones who are positionally not believers. Okay, the ones who are positionally without God. Okay, why would we partner ourselves to our own flesh? Why would we partner ourselves to Satan? Okay, why would we partner ourselves to the world when that's not who we are? Does that make sense? Hey, we, well, that's not who we are anymore. Okay, and, and Paul's like, I mean, you know, a lot of people will take this and they'll say, well, this means that if you're sexually immoral, impure, and, and greedy, then you're not saved. Well, <laughs> why would he write this to, why would he write, even write this to him? Right? He's, in, he's encouraging them to not live like that because they can live like that. He's writing this to him because my flesh, I want to do these things. Right? I came from that. That's my old man, and I want to live like my old man. I want to sin, and you guys want to sin too. But Paul says, why would you sin when your position is a child of God? Why would you do that? Okay, Because we shouldn't. We should be living like who we are. Okay, And the final thing uh, that he talks about... Oh, okay, this is good. So why is, what is Paul saying here? I just kind of I wanted it to be visual as well. Okay, so there's a distinction between sons of disobedience and sons of God. We already said that positionally. There's a, there's a distinction there that actually do can stem from God or the or evil or the devil, the world, the flesh. Okay, and as a believer, okay, our deeds can still stem from our flesh and the world and the devil. Right? Because how many of you guys have sinned this past week? Okay, so your deeds are stemming from the devil. Right? So are the actually do can stem from either one, but positionally we're here. So we should practically live as those who are in Christ. Sons or heirs of Christ. Okay, we have that eternal home. Okay, and we should live like it. We should live like who we are. Okay, so I think that's what Paul's saying here. And that's what he means here. It fits in the flow, right? He's been talking about this the whole time. 
And then he goes on and continues saying that. Uh, so the final thing, the fourth thing, is that they bring wrath. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this just because we don't have time to spend on it. Uh, but the, the main thing here, I mean, when you think about wrath, it's God's wrath. It's righteous and just wrath. It's righteous anger brought about, uh, just anger. Uh, and, and, you know, God's wrath is poured out on Christ for our sins, right? Uh, but it says that the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. So you can even think of, like, the tribulation's coming, right? Um, that's, a, that's God's wrath, okay, on the world um, and on the sin of the world and stuff like that. Uh, but you can also think about it like this as a, for us and... I know Paul doesn't get into this right here, uh, but he does elsewhere. And it's discipline of a child is a real thing too. And I know it's kind of a tangent; it's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. But he t- like I said, he talks about it elsewhere. Even as a believer, God disciplines uh, his kids, right? Uh, whether that means he trains them, disciplines them, or chastens them, disciplines he disciplines. His kids, uh, and so that's, I don't know if that fits really well with wrath of God, uh, because He's doing it out of love and all this. But He hates sin, whether it's in a believer or non-believer, right? He always hates sin, and so um, it could be a chastening or something like that. So we need to just keep that in the back of our minds as we go through this. Uh, but as far as just sin in the world and the wrath of God coming on it, these things—sexually immoral, impure, filthy talk course jest. I mean, these things bring the wrath of God. Sin brings the wrath of God. If Adam and Eve did not sin, would there be any wrath of God on mankind? I mean, there wouldn't, right? Because there would be no sin until one of us sinned and then (laughs) started all over, right? But, you know, hypothetically, if no one ever sinned, there'd be no wrath on humans. Okay? And so, sin brings wrath. It does. And that wrath, it's, it's interesting because that wrath is the same word that Paul's been using, telling us to not have it. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. And then at the end of chapter 4, he says, you shouldn't have this, 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 wrath. Okay, these are the same word, exact same Greek word. So he's saying, God has this wrath, but you should be slow to this wrath. Don't let your anger go down on this wrath. And then one time he says, don't have wrath. Why? Because we talked about it a long time ago. Uh, human anger, human wrath doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. But God's wrath is just and it brings about righteousness, okay? Uh, So that's just something to think about uh, with the fourth thing that he says. Uh, And then so, all right, last thing, we'll just go over the impact because we're out of time. Okay, live like who you are. Okay, live like who you are. Okay, so Gallon's a child of God, so he should be living like it. Okay, Brent is a child of God, so he should be living like it. I'm a child of God. I need to be living like it. Okay, and this... This should be a gut check for all of us, okay? Because when you look at what a child of God should look like, and you're like, hmm, what does that look like? And you're like, oh, that would look like Christ. That would look like what he looks like. And then you look at his life, you're like, man, I'm not even close. I'm not even close to what a child of God should look like. And so all of us should look at our own lives and say, hey, here's some things that I do that I need to get rid of. Like Hebrews says, wait and sin. Maybe they're sins, maybe they're just not sins, but they're just things I need to get rid of so that way I can run. Or maybe they're, you're thinking, man, here's some ways that I need to love people that I haven't been loving people. Here's how I can go the extra mile in an area that I don't usually go the extra mile. 
here's this thing I can do, this person I can talk to, this, that, this, the other. Here's these people I can stop hanging out with um, because I want to look like a child of God. I want to look like who I am in Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? So the, the application, again, like most of the time, it's super easy to understand, but it's super hard to do. And the more you grow in Christ and the more you grow as a believer, probably the more you see that you're not living like Him. You know? Like, it's like you're never going to... I'm At least I don't, I've never got there to where it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm living like who I am. You know, and there's always stuff that, that we can do uh, to live more like Christ and to live like who we are as children of Christ. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.